Sports Talk 1110-993-WBT. The Pete Callender Show, hour number two. And if you're listening on the podcast, don't worry, I didn't get to any of the audio in the first hour. I make all sorts of promises on show content, and I never deliver on this stuff. I apologize. Uh, well, we had good calls, good discussion. Um, but let me get to this audio because, after all, you know, I did go and watch this and record it and then save it and then bring it in, import it, and all of that. So I did the work, you know, and so I kind of feel like I should play it. So, first off, we're in the House Judiciary Committee. It's yesterday. Matt Gates, uh, Republican congressman from Florida, he responds to a couple comments that are made by North Carolina Congresswoman Deborah Ross. She's a Democrat. So first off, I'm going to play you the two clips that Matt Gates responds to. All right? Here's the, here's the first one. Oh, and they're debating a bill that has um, it had something to do with uh, uh, women in prisons who are who get pregnant, who are pregnant in prison, and has and I think it's about abortion access to those women in the prisons. Okay, so th- this was just a committee meeting, and they were just debating this bill, and so uh, Deborah Ross makes some comments, and uh, here was the first one that uh, that prompted Gates's response. The underlying bill and its bipartisan nature are great for women's reproductive freedom. All right, that's the first statement she made, made that these bills are great for women's reproductive freedom, okay? Next up is a comment, listen carefully, it's a comment about a certain clump of cells geographically located inside of another person. Pregnant Inmates frequently face inhumane treatment that puts them and their unborn children in danger. Whoa, 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 whoa. They're what now? Puts them and their what now? What did you call that clump of cells? Pregnant inmates frequently face inhumane treatment that puts them and their unborn children in danger. Oh, my. Oh, my. You see the problem here, don't you? See, this is the this is the issue that arises when you are trying to rewrite the language and you're doing it on the fly and you're constantly doing rewrites and throwing in new euphemisms and and that sort of thing. It, it, it takes a while for you to break those language norms. You know, how how long do you think it takes for somebody to stop saying mom and dad or mother and father and stop saying or and start saying birthing person and non-birthing person? Right? How many how many years do you have to adopt that language and really work on it before you can kind of cleanse yourself of the of the bigotry of the terms <laughs> mother and father? All right, so here's Matt Gates uh, uh going after Ross and the other woman you're going to hear is Karen Ruth ba- uh, uh, Karen Ruth Bass. Democrat from California who sponsored the bill. I want to thank the gentleman from Texas for spending time with me yesterday to go over some of the provisions of the bill. And I left that discussion with the perspective that the bill was silent on the matter of abortion and really was about um, helping pregnant women in prison. But this debate has me quite confused, and particularly the, the last. Gentlemen, yield. No, gentlemen, Mr. Chairman, you weren't the one who created my confusion, so I'm gonna. I'm going to ask Ms. Ross a question if she would if she would yield to, for a colloquy with me, because Ms. Ross, 
said that this bill was great for reproductive freedom. And I would like to know how, if, if you'd be willing. Um, Mr. Gates, it's great for reproductive freedom because it respects when women want to have a child, that they get the care that they need and they are not abused. In your mind, does it also respect their wish to not have a child? It doesn't speak to that issue, but reproductive freedom also involves women who choose to have children and want to have those children under the best possible circumstance free of abuse. So it's not your contention then that the bill makes it easier for women in prison to have an abortion? Mr. Gates. Why don't you ask me? I'm not. Mr. Gates, I think what you should do, if you want to address this to Ms. Bass, you can. I'm here. Like women who are, want to have their babies need to be able to do it free of abuse and with support. And unfortunately, your party doesn't always want to give women who want to have those children uh, I, that support. Mm -hmm. And I do not yield to I, any further questions well, from I, you. I, 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 pardon me. It's my time. Uh, yes, and I'm asking yes. questions of the person who created a great deal of confusion by saying that this matter was for the reproductive freedom of women. And I, and I appreciate her yielding to a few questions Please. that I think clarified that point. If the gentlelady would yield to another clarifying question, and I'm not here to make a partisan argument, I'm here to understand the effect of the bill and what you're talking about in support of the bill. You used the phrase unborn child in your, in your most recent debate. What does that phrase mean to you? Mr. Gates, Ms. Bass would like to answer your questions. <laughs> well, then I, she can strike the I last word. I am finished with you right now, and I do not yield. So, so that's telling, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just here quit. trying to get answers, answers to questions. You, Ms. Bass, you didn't use the words that were confusing. So I'm not going to yield to you. And it is I'm my not, bill. But you didn't use the words in description of it. And guess why? It was Ms. Ross who used those words. Well, and if I want to ask questions to Ms. Ross, she could choose whether or not to yield to give the answers. But you covering well, but for you're her, not really interested she doesn't in know the answer. words she uses and cannot in the Judiciary Committee sit and answer the questions you on something as important as life or death it's when Mr. I control Gates. the time is outrageous. Are you done? Huh? I'm With done when theater? my time's done. And when Mr. I'm done, Gates you, can time. Yield those, you can yield for those questions, but, but it's crazy <laughs> that in this committee, when I'm trying to get honest answers to questions about the effect of the bill, whether or not it paves the way to abortions, that you all want to sit up there and squawk at me rather than allow me to ask questions. When you have the time, you can control the time. How about that? But these are fair questions. She used the phrase unborn child. This is I would theater. like to know what that means to her because what it means to us on a break. is that it is a life. Well, you know what? I want the answer on the record, Miss Bass. I want the answer for the American people because to all of us, my party that was impugned, we actually think that unborn life is a child and that there is a liberty interest there that is worthy of our defense and our protection and the values that undergird the American Constitution. I don't think that's too unreasonable. And by the way, if you use a phrase in this committee, you shouldn't have to have a senior member answer the questions for you. You should be able to answer those questions yourself. And if not, I think it speaks to the credibility of the debate that is offered. So I'll yield, I'll yield Ms. Bass. I got, I got 50 seconds. Thank you. I would like for us to vote on the amendment. I think the bill is clear. The rest of this discussion is theater. I would like to vote on the amendment. Well, right, Can we vote it, on the amendment, Mr. Chair? I, I, tell you what, I tell you what, Ms. Bass, reclaiming my time, we'll vote 
when we're damn well ready and when we're done answering our questions. Oh, ask, you chair the committee now? No, we have rights in the minority to utilize time under the five-minute rule to be able to offer our perspective on matters. And we're sorry if you all are in such a rush to kill unborn life that you're unwilling to answer our questions. But you know what? The good news is, with the Supreme Court we currently have, this is now a pro-life country, and we've got all the time in the world for that. I yield back. All right, so you know what I took away from all of that? Congresswoman Bass, she's got a lot of privilege, right? You hear her interrupting, constantly interrupting. I learned from the Charlotte City Council member Victoria Watlington that that's an assertion of privilege. Congresswoman Bass, I think that's white privilege. I'm not sure. All right, so that audio came out of the House Judiciary Committee. Matt Gates, essentially embarrassing North Carolina Congresswoman Deborah Ross. Then Karen Bass tries to come to her defense and then tries to shut down the conversation, tries to uh, shut up Matt Gates. Uh, oh, by the way, the uh, the Democrats on the House Judiciary Committee also blocked a measure that would have increased the criminal punishment for child sex traffickers setting a a minimum sentence of 15 years for that. They blocked that. I don't know why. Um, Then there was this clip. This is over in the House Oversight and Government, or yeah, uh, yeah, Oversight and Reform Committee. House, again, this is Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, and she is questioning Erin Morrow-Hawley, that she is the wife of U.S. Senator... uh, Josh Hawley. And uh, so why is this senator's wife appearing? Ah, well, you're a sexist for thinking in those terms because she happens to also be an attorney, a senior legal fellow at the Independent Women's Law Center. She's an associate or was an associate professor of law, University of Missouri. She clerked for Supreme Court Justice John Roberts. Uh, She worked for two leading D.C. law firms. She was the DOJ counsel to the attorney general, Michael Mukasey. So she's got a little bit of expertise on the law. Right. Okay. And so here's how this went down in the uh, House Oversight and Reform Committee on Abortion Access and the Law. Okay, that's the heading for the hearing. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, Ms. Hawley, please state for the record. When an ectopic pregnancy ruptures, what are the chances that it can be carried to term? My my understanding is that when an ectopic pregnancy ruptures is a life-threatening condition, that's why the treatment for an ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion. I'm sorry, sorry, reclaiming my time here. Again, could you just answer the question? When an ectopic pregnancy ruptures, what are the chances that it can be safely carried to term. And and you know what, just to make this even clearer, I'm looking for a number between zero to 100. Can you give me a, a percentage? Sure, I believe zero ectopic pregnancies, even those that do not rupture, have a chance of uh, uh, successfully being carried to term. That's why the treatment for them is not an abortion. Reclaiming my time. Uh, it seems that there is a deficit in your understanding of reproductive health. Uh, In fact, I want the record to reflect that according to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, treatment for ectopic pregnancy requires ending a non-viable pregnancy. A what now? Wait, wait, uh, hang on a second. What was that? Ending a what now? 
a non-viable pregnancy. Well, what does that mean? Hmm. Now, let's turn... That, with respect, ma'am, that's not an abortion. This is my time. You, I asked you the question. You answered. And I'm now providing you with the accurate information from medical experts. My question was, when an ectopic pregnancy ruptures, what are the chances it can be safely carried to term? The answer is 0%. I answered that correctly, Further, when it comes to one's accurate understanding of reproductive health and abortion care with an ectopic pregnancy, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists says, quote, She's just saying the same thing Treatment again. for ectopic pregnancy requires ending a non-viable pregnancy, this is my time, end quote. That is so now I'm going to turn to the real experts. That's not an we'll- abortion. Because- she said it's not an abortion because it's, it's an ectopic pregnancy. It's a non-viable child, and you're de- the purpose is to save a life, not to take one. That's its purpose. They're different. That's what Erin Hawley is saying, and she, by the way, is there representing the Alliance Defending Freedom. She's counsel for that organization. And then Ayanna Presley says, well, I'm going to go to the experts, because she has some other people that the Democrats brought in uh, to be at the table, and and these were like, I don't know who they were, like doctors or whatever. And so she's she's like, I'm going to turn to the actual experts over here. Again, this hearing was about abortion access and law. And they had Aaron Morrow-Hawley there, an eminently qualified expert on the law, who is telling her, who's telling Congresswoman Presley, that's not an abortion. That's not considered to be the same. This is the same thing that happened with the story out of Ohio, where the underage girl, the 10-year-old girl, was impregnated by a rapist. People started asking, well, where's where's the charges for the rapist? Oh, and by the way, and, and that wasn't – nobody wanted to focus on that element of it. Three, four weeks later, whatever it's been, we finally get the, the information that, hey, they arrested the guy. He's now confessed. Yes, he's an unauthorized immigrant, and he apparently raped this girl multiple times. And now people want – to know, like, well, why did she go to Ohio? She didn't need to go to, or to Indiana from Ohio. Ohio would have allowed that that abortion to occur, too. So many of these things. Like, this is, why why can't we get, like, the basic uh, uh, mutual understanding of what is true and what is not and have discussions about those things, those issues, right? It just seems like deflection more often than not. News Talk 1110-993-WBT-704-570-1110-1800-WBT-1110. WBT Does it still smell like gas out there? What? Does it still smell like the gas? Um, next up, soundbite. Uh, U.S. Senator Elizabeth Warren. She of the high cheekbones. Who is also pro-choice. She is very, very, very pro-choice. Unless that choice... Is going to be made by a woman. 
and it's not abortion, then, eh, not so really pro-choice. So as long as the choice is the one she wants you to make, she's pro-choice. That's my understanding, given her comment that she made uh, yesterday. In Massachusetts right now, those crisis pregnancy centers that are there to fool people who are looking for pregnancy termination help outnumber true abortion clinics by three to one. Okay. We need to shut them down here in Massachusetts and we need to shut them down all around the country. You should not be able to torture a pregnant person like that. What? To torture? Okay, so first off, she's making several claims. The first is that these crisis pregnancy centers fool people. They fool women. Sorry, birthing persons. How, how, how so? Someone goes in, they think this is an abortion clinic, and the people in the clinic are like, hey, we are here to help you, and you know, if you want to keep the baby, we're here to help you keep your baby. And we're going to give you support and, you know, clothing and prenatal care and then postnatal or uh, uh, care after the fact and, you know, diapers and all this stuff. We're going to help you. And that's fooling the woman that somehow or another, oh, I went in for an abortion and I came out and then, bam, like seven months later, I had a baby. I thought... I thought going in and talking to these people about having the baby was the abortion. I was deceived. (laughs) I don't understand what the fooling... I mean, I understand the idea that, oh, it's a crisis pregnancy center, and so I'm going to go in there, and then as soon as I find out that they're not going to give me the abortion, then you know what I would do if I really want the abortion is, right, I'm going to go to an abortion clinic. I'm going to find an abortion clinic. I don't have any problem. She makes another claim that there are three, there's this three to one ratio. Okay. What's wrong with that? I don't understand why this is an indictment. She just states this thing as if it's prima facie evidence of evil or, or misplaced priorities or something. I don't get that. Why? Shouldn't it be? Right? That's the old safe, legal, but rare standard that Democrats used to promote. I'm old enough to remember when they promoted that. But rare, as such, you would, if it's going to be rare, you would want it to be outnumbered by the crisis pregnancy centers, which would be saving as many babies' lives as possible versus taking as many babies' lives as possible, right? That's how that would, that's how that should look. Unless, of course, you're not interested in it being rare. If, I mean, she's literally calling for these Nonprofit organizations that help pregnant women, she's calling for them to be shut down. Which means what? If you want the baby or you are, you're questioning whether you want it, she doesn't want you to have access to any information that's going to lead you to a different conclusion other than abortion. See, she's trying to funnel clients, customers, to the abortion industry. That is very, very powerful inside the Democratic Party. That's how I read that. That's how I hear it. 
So she's not really pro-choice because she doesn't want people to make the other choice that she made, by the way, right? That she and her husband, they made, they kept the babies. But if you're a single mom, right? Because that's what we're talking about. Generally, this is what happens is when women go in for the uh, for the abortion, it's because the man has left town. The, the man has skipped. And now they're facing this crisis, hence the term crisis pregnancy center, right? So you're going in seeking help because you don't know what to do. And maybe part of you wants to keep the baby and part of you is thinking, I need to get rid of the baby. I don't know what to do, so I'm in crisis. The man has skipped town, and so I need some guidance. I need some help. And then, oh, look at that. Here's a pregnancy center. I go in there. They say, we're going to help you. And that prompts you to keep the baby. Why is that a bad choice? Pro-choicers. Why would that be a bad choice? Let me go over here to Taylor. Hello, Taylor. Welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you today? I am all right. What's going on? Uh, so I just wanted to comment. It seems to me like this woman wants to take away the option of the help to those women who are struggling financially and can't support having a baby, you know, for that first six months, year, year and a half, or whatever it is with diapers and formula wipes and so on. And they want to take that option away entirely and just make the only option be abortion. Right. Therefore, it's justified, it's reasonable, and it seems like that's the most logical explanation because they can't handle it on their own. This is what I mean it, when I say that the Democrats have for so long been able to just avoid talking about any of this. They could just say, I'm pro-choice, you know, reproductive health rights or whatever. They could just say these little buzzwords, and there was no exploration or examination of any of the underlying thoughts or rationalizations or science or philosophy or ethics, none of that, right? They just said, I'm pro-choice, and everybody, yay! Well, now you're getting to hear these Democrats trying to make the cases that they apparently have never, they've never, you can't tell me that that line that she just gave me that that was run through some focus group and, and tested very well, and that's why she's using it. I think, much like Todd Aiken, when he talked about, you know, women can't get preg- uh, pregnant unless it's a, le- you know, if it's a legitimate rape, the body has a way to shut that down, that idiot who said that. I got a feeling that's what we're seeing with Senator Warren here, right? I bet she said that same, I bet she has said this stuff to her fellow Democrats and friends. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in the effort to try to suppress the people that, you know, couldn't afford it on their own otherwise. Yeah. I mean, that's all pregnancy crisis is. I mean, I, I have personal friends and family members that have had to seek out help mm-hmm. because they want to have their baby. They don't want to murder it. And that's their last resort. That, aside from going to a church, this is the last public option. And if you take that away, that takes that choice away. And, you know, they're left with the bottom line being abortion. Right. Unfortunately. Yeah. They're, they're, they're pro-choice. Yeah, which is which is actually it's very on brand because what we learn about Democrats is that this is the only issue they're pro-choice on, right? And Absolutely. even now we find out they're not actually really pro-choice, right? It's it's not really about the choice because they're anti-choice on everything else except this issue. But now we're finding out that they're not actually pro-choice on this either. So it is kind of on brand. Taylor, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks so much. Um, good chat. News Talk eleven ten. And 99.3 WBT had a tweet here. Uh, Pete, they are literally angry when women choose life. They don't want a real choice at all. They only want abortion. Um, Here is the headline of, uh, this was in The Spectator. 
Uh, this is a lefty publication. Having a child is the grandest act of climate destruction. Population control advocate Tracy Stone Manning said the origin of our abuses is us. If there were fewer of us, we would have less impact. We must consume less. And more importantly, more importantly, we must breed fewer consuming humans. Who is Tracy Stone Manning? She heads Joe Biden's Bureau of Land Management. She's a depopulationist. Hmm. Starting to make sense. Let me go over here to Bane. Welcome to the program. Hello, Bane. How are you? I'm doing well, Pete. Thanks for having me. Sure. This is going to a whole new level with Elizabeth Warren. I'd like your take on it. And, and another thing after this. She's accusing crisis pregnancy centers of tricking people. Right. That's unbelievable. I well, mean, I mean, that, where does that mindset stop? Well, I mean, it's it, this is obviously, I mean, Senator Warren does have a bit of a history of making up stuff. Yeah, did she trick us, Miss Focahontas? Right. No, probably. Right. It's uh, it, it is a troubling path that she is on. Uh, if it, like rhetorically, uh, yeah. if she is making the assertion that all of these centers have to be shut down because they are deceiving people, I mean, you would think then that she, I mean, how, how else do you shut them down but for the force of government, right? So right. she wants to then use government to shut down clinics that are helping pregnant women. But her assumption is they're not helping pregnant women. They're tricking pregnant women. Right. Into, I guess, yeah, into having a baby eight, seven, or nine months down the road that they totally thought they had gotten aborted, I guess, even though they went through no procedure to do so. I know. It's unbelievable. And the second thing is that, you know, if we have this debate and there's some legitimate, let's just say, early understandings of when life begins. Yeah. You really just don't know. You always err on the side of life. Always. You have you see a crash, you don't say, ha, huh, they're all dead. I'm not going to call the ambulance. Or you see a fire. You say, no, we've got to check. We've got to see. You always err. If you're going to make a mistake, make the mistake on the side of life. Right. And that's, that's where I, that's how I arrived at life begins at conception, because I don't Correct. know. And so I'm going, right, so that's the earliest that, to me, makes sense that it could occur. Now, maybe there comes along, and we had a call in the first hour from a doctor, uh, Johnston, he said his name was, uh, and he talked about the earliest signs of uh, uh, heartbeats and uh, and brain waves, And they all tend to start up around the week of, like, the, the uh, uh, 15th week in. Okay, so, I mean, like, honestly, if... if if we're going to base the the rights question when they attach on those types of you know scientific criteria, then I imagine we're going to get to a place where a lot of states are going to have similar kinds of laws based right. on that. And that's ultimately where we need to go. Is we have to have, if you can use the word, a consensus on when life begins, because it's not a giraffe, it's mm-hmm. not a monkey, it's a baby. Mm-hmm. When does it begin? When, I like yours. When do rights attach? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there are human beings that we all agree are human. You know, they're they're born, they, they get very old, or they get in an accident or something, and now 
they have lost the ability to make these determinations. And I mean, essentially, right, when you make those end of life decisions, what are you essentially saying? That that person no longer has these rights. So to me, like the thing on the heartbeat and the the brain activity, those things make sense if we're trying to mark from a just a purely scientific um uh, position and you're trying to codify that into law those things make sense to me because that's when we say someone's life is over right if they have no they have no brain activity and the heart Correct. stops beating like those Correct. things then make sense so if that's the end of life then maybe we apply that same criteria to the beginning of life that is that is so gosh there was something else i wanted to ask relative to oh viability and yeah. your take on this and i'm done is Listen, a full-term baby's not viable. A full-term baby right. needs assistance from mom and dad. Yeah, through, uh, what, age 26 when they are uh, exactly. uh, on their parents' uh, insurance. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Thanks for your time, man. All right, Blaine. Appreciate it. Uh, Bain, rather. Uh, appreciate the call, man. Uh, yeah, th- these, are, these are the questions that we as a society now need to wrestle with. I, I put my cards on it, and I've been clear on this for years, right? My cards are on the table. I believe life begins at conception because I don't know when life begins. And to me, the question then is when do the rights attach? When do human rights attach? And that's for me, I would, if it, if I were, you know, King, I would say at conception because that's life. That would be my view on it, but I also recognize that I live in a society with other people, and those scientists would say that, no, the baby doesn't have a heartbeat, doesn't have the brain waves, and you have these emotional stories, the uh, 10-year-old rape victim. And by the way, here is is something to consider, and then we're going to move on uh, to other topics here, but something to consider on the abortion debate whenever the question of rape and incest comes up. Those account for less than 1% of all pregnancies. So even if just for the sake of the argument, you say, let's let's say those are all exempt. Take those off the table. Now you can have a discussion about the other 99%. But it's funny, as soon as you as soon as you give ground on that, so it gets out of the way for the larger debate, a lot of your opponents don't want to have the larger debate. Funny how that works. Uh-huh. 